Good morning. Happy Easter, everybody. How you doing? Yes, uh, these are my Easter clothes. I don't normally wear this if this is your first time here. I cannot breathe at this moment, all right? I'm just going to let you know that. So, um, but hey, we are glad you're here. Thanks for showing up in our first service on this Easter Sunday. But um, I, I want to start off with a little negativity about Easter, okay? There's something I don't like about Easter. It's these things right here. Peeps. Can I get an amen or 20 out there? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of you that don't like peeps. Um, some of you, you pop these in your mouth like Tic Tacs, and I don't know how you, you do this. Your question probably is, Chad, why don't you like peeps? And it's pretty simple. Peeps fall into one of my three M's. I have three foods that begin with the letter M that I do not like, okay? They are meringue, mayonnaise, and marshmallows. Those are my three M's. I don't like any of those things that kind of connects with that. And peeps are what? They're made out of marshmallows. Now, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the texture, the, the thickness. It's definitely the taste. But for some reason, I just cannot eat peeps or anything that has marshmallows in it. Now, you probably have foods that you don't like either, right? They're foods that you stay away from, foods that you don't want to eat, foods that when you even think about it, it makes you sick to your stomach. Well, my guess is, and please forgive me for doing this, that there are peeps, people in your life that, uh, yeah, I know, dad joke, I'm done, that you can't stand either, right? Can I get an amen for that? I'm just kidding. Don't really give it. no. Like there are people you want to stay away from, right? People you don't want to be near. People that when you think about, they make you sick to your stomach. And, and it's probably from the experiences that you've had with them in the past. And so here's what I want you to do as we're here this morning. I want you to think about this person in your mind that you answer this question to. And here's this question. Who is someone in your life who has hurt you in the past? Who is someone in your life that has hurt you in your past? And I just want you to kind of hold on to that, that person in your mind. And, and I know for some of us that, that question goes pretty deep. Because it might be a parent, might be a child, Maybe a family member, maybe it's an ex-spouse, it might be an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, a co-worker you were close to, a really close friend, a neighbor. Maybe it was someone like me, someone who was in the role of a pastor. But there's someone in your life that, that hurt you, that, that has brought about all kinds of grief and, and pain that you struggle with. And, and I just want you to think about that person over the next few moments we spend together as, as we finish up this series called Dealing with Detours. Now, if you haven't been here, let me just kind of give you a quick little synopsis of the series. Like, like we go through life, and, and when we're young, we figured it all out, right? We know everything we're going to do. We know what life's going to look like. We know how it's all going to play out. And then these detours show up. And, and sometimes, the, sometimes those detours come from decisions we've made. And other times they come at the hand of someone else. There are experiences that we have with somebody and so these detours show up, and we got to try to figure out how do we deal with these detours? How do, we, how do we find the direction we need to go when the direction we thought we were supposed to go in doesn't happen because these detours keep hitting us? And so this whole series has been about dealing with detours in our life. And in this series, we've been talking about a guy named Joseph. Uh, and Joseph, we find him in the book of Genesis, which is the first book that we find in Scripture, in the Bible. And some of you are sitting here right now, you're like, isn't this supposed to be Easter Sunday? Like... Aren't we supposed to talk about the resurrection and Jesus? Is this the wrong son? Yep, we're going to get to there in a little bit, right? 
But I believe there's something about the ending of Joseph's story that is powerful for us and also gives us a glimpse into the power of the resurrection. Now, if you haven't been here, let me give you a quick recap about Joseph, because some of you might be thinking, is this Jesus' dad? Nope, not Jesus' dad. This is a Joseph, again, that comes at the very beginning of, of the Bible. Uh, we meet Joseph. He's his dad's favorite kid, and his dad treats him that way. His brothers can't stand him. One day, he goes to check in on his brothers. This is what his dad, tell, tell, dad tells him to do. Uh, he gets there, and his brother's like, hey, we're going to kill our brother, Joseph. Thankfully, they didn't kill him. They just attacked him, okay? So they attack him, they throw him into this pit, they sell him into slavery. Well, he gets sold into slavery to this guy named Potiphar, and Potiphar's a government official for Egypt. He works there a little bit, he gets falsely accused, he gets thrown into prison, and really Joseph is forgotten there in prison for a few years. Well, this opportunity comes because the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, has these dreams, and he's looking for somebody to answer these dreams, and Joseph's the only one who's able to do this. And Joseph comes in and says, here's what your dreams mean. There's going to be seven years of prosperity for Egypt, and we need to plan for that. We need to gather as much grain as we can for food, for our livestock. Because after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. It's going to be terrible. There's not going to be any prosperity, and so we need to make sure we can take care of everybody. Well, Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, hey, you're the smartest person here. And Joseph's like, well, it's not me, it's God. And Pharaoh's like, if it's you, God, whatever it is, I just need you to be in charge of this. And so Joseph kind of gets this really sweet gig. I mean, he's second in command in Egypt only to Pharaoh. And then he, he gets a, a wife. He gets a couple of kids. Life is wonderful. Life is great. But then his biological brothers show up one day in Egypt. And the reason they're there is this famine is hit, and they've run out of food. They need food for themselves. They need grain for their livestock. And so they show up there in Egypt and Joseph sees them for the first time in almost 20 years. Uh, Joel talked last week about the emotional piece to this. I mean, can you imagine the emotions that, that Joseph has right now? The, the, the reminders of, of what had take, taken place in his life, the detours that had been set up for him because of what his brothers had done to him many years before. Well, Joseph is there with his brothers. He's trying to play this game with them and, and get mad at them. He calls them spies, which, you know, if you're a brother and you got this power, you're trying to make your brothers feel bad, right? Especially after they've hurt you. They don't know who he is, but he can't keep this game up. And in Genesis chapter 45, we read this. It says, Joseph can stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. As we can see here, Joseph's emotions are strong, and he's just decided, I can't keep playing this game. He, he breaks down, he's weeping, he tells his brothers who he is, and here's what he actually tells them in verse 3. He says, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Up until this whole time, Joseph has more than likely been speaking in Egyptian. He's been speaking them into the native tongue of Egypt, so they don't know who he is. They don't have any connection here. Joseph's probably been using a translator, but in this moment, he all of a sudden, in Hebrew, because that's his native language for Joseph, he begins to speak to them, and he tells them who he is. I wonder what his brothers thought right there in that particular moment when he says that. They're probably like, oh, Shabbat, right? 
Like, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're in big trouble. This might not be good for us. How do we get out of this place? But as we read here, it says they can't even talk. They are so stunned at this news. Look at verse 4. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery into in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Joseph spends some time telling his brothers everything that had happened. And in that, he explains to them that God has allowed this to take place so that he could be there for them. So that he could care for Egypt and so he could care for his family. Again, we've kind of talked about this in the series. If you were in Joseph's place right there at that moment or through this whole episode with his brothers being in front of you, these brothers who at one time wanted to kill you, these brothers who ended up attacking you, throwing you to a pit, selling you into slavery, is this the kind of response that you would have? Because these guys have put into motion so many of the detours that you've faced in his life. How would you have responded? Well, most of us would have sought revenge, right? We would have said, right now is the time that I am going to pay you guys back. And the reason is you've brought me so much pain in my life. But Joseph doesn't seek revenge. And he doesn't even say, I hate you, I despise you, I wish you were dead. He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be scared. Do not be angry with yourselves. Joseph offers his brothers forgiveness. Like in this moment where harsh words would make sense for us, um, uh, payback is definitely something that many of us would say, yeah, let's do that. Revenge sounds right. Torture probably sounds even more appropriate for our siblings, right? Joseph shows them compassion and love and grace and forgiveness. See, for Joseph, this was a powerful response to an unbelievable situation. I want you to go back to think about the person who's been swimming around your head for the last few moments. The person asked you about who had hurt you in your past. Here's my question. Have you been a person who's been seeking revenge on them? Or have you offered them forgiveness? Now, that word forgiveness is a strange word. It's a powerful word. We kind of think we understand what it means. But let me read this definition I found this week, which I think is so, so powerful. Here's what it says. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Forgiveness is a powerful response to many times unbelievable situations that we have had in our lives. As you think about that word forgiveness and as you think about that definition, 
I, I want to share with you some thoughts on forgiveness that I hope will be helpful to us when we're seeking to forgive someone for the experiences and maybe the pain and hurt they've caused us in our lives. But let's just start from the, the beginning here. Here's the deal. Forgiving someone is hard. Forgiving someone is hard. Over the past couple of weeks, I asked on social media for people to give me some feedback of experiences that they've had in their life with people and, and to tell me why. Why, why uh, has this person hurt you? And I, I want to share uh, some of these responses. I got quite a few. A lot of people said, hey, I have a hard time forgiving myself. I get that. Um, that really is probably a separate message in itself at some point. Uh, but, but, but I really wanted to hear from people that had been hurt by other people. And kind of where that left them. Let me share these with you. They're going to be up here on the screen. Here's the first one. The hardest person for me to forgive is my dad. Although he was physically present in my life, emotionally not at all. He chose my stepmom and her kids over me and my brother on most occasions. In large part because of him, I've dealt with feelings and fear of inadequacy and expecting disappointment. Someone else wrote, the hardest person for me to forgive is my soon-to-be ex-husband, we were married 18 years. He made me feel less than and unworthy of a different life and partner. This is the person who promised to love and care for me, but his actions and words wouldn't let me relax in my own home. Someone else told me I would say my sister. She really damaged her three daughters by not supporting them, criticizing most things they did. They are still coming to terms with her narcissistic ways and how they impacted them. Another person wrote, my ex-husband is the hardest person I have to forgive. I'm 52 years old and have come to realize he never truly loved me. My boys are the only thing I have left from 30 years of deception, lies, and eventually verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. Another person said, my mother. Two years ago, I found out the man I grew up with was not my father. I'd always wondered and never really felt connected to him. I asked during my childhood if he were my dad, and she either did not respond or she slapped me or told me how ridiculous I was. Now, 50 years later, I find the truth. And the last one, in the summer 2020, our son-in-law told our youngest daughter he wanted to end the marriage after five years and two babies. This has been the toughest season I could ever imagine as a mom and grandmother. I have prayed, I have sought counseling, I have sent gifts and cards to my ex-son-in-law. I have never felt hated by anyone in my life. I've never needed to forgive anyone like this. I know every single person who shared their story with me. I care for them, I love them, and it's hard to read these words in most cases, not even knowing the history that was there and what they experienced in their past and to not kind of feel and carry that burden with them. And some of you, you hear those stories and you're like, that, that's my story too. Or that story resonates with me, which means you understand how hard forgiveness is. But why is forgiveness so hard? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. When we forgive, we feel like the other person's getting away with something, right? Like we, we tell ourselves, someone needs to hate you. Someone needs to seek revenge on you. Someone needs to get back at you. Someone needs to be your judge. And, and we believe since you hurt me, you need to feel this hurt and pain too. For others, it's hard to forgive because we think if we forgive them, they'll think what they did was, was okay. It's like we're giving them a pass to, to what they, they did. And all we're doing is letting them off the hook. 
Now hear me out. It is easy to not forgive. And it probably feels a little better sometimes to not forgive. But what's hard to do is to forgive someone who has hurt us and brought us pain in our lives. So if forgiveness is hard, what do we need to know about it? Well, I would say a few things here. The first would be forgiving someone takes time. It's not like you hate someone the, the night when you go to bed and you wake up the next morning like, hey, I'm going to forgive them today. I feel great, right? Got a good night's sleep. I'm going to forgive this person today. It's not how this works. Forgiveness is one of those things. It's a marathon. It takes time. It's usually not a sprint. There's so many emotions, so many experiences that we have to work through, we have to deal with, and we've got to learn to let go of. And so we've got to be patient when it comes to forgiving someone. And sometimes the person we've got to be patient with is ourselves. Because forgiving someone takes time. Forgiving someone also may mean years of counseling. And I'm saying many years of counseling. Uh, you, you've got a lot to work through from your past. And you may need a professional to walk you down that path. The most time we can't do it on our own. And, and I, I believe in the power of God. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. And I believe in the power of prayer. But, but I'm just going to let you know, oftentimes you need that professional to give you some steps to take. To help you walk through that. Again, this is a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. And so you need someone to help you through that. We talk about counseling a lot here at The Journey. I've told you guys, I go to counseling every Wednesday, 3 p.m., all right? Every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Not afraid to say that. Some people think counseling makes you weak. I think it makes you stronger because it helps you to work through whatever it is that's going on in your life. And I talk about everything with my, with my counselor, and I appreciate that the, she helps me walk down the paths I need to go down. Uh, here at The Journey, we have a unique relationship with Safe Harbor Christian Counseling. Uh, we have many people here who go to them. We would love to connect you with them. There's an email address up there, office at thejourneynova.org. You can contact Robin, and she will connect you with Safe Harbor. Um, as Joel just talked about, our, our offering this week, uh, part of it is going to counseling. We don't ever want you to say, like, I really would like to go to counseling, but I can't afford it, so I'm not going to go. We set aside money in our budget. Uh, we add more to that on Easter to be able to say we want to make sure funding is never an option or never an issue for you. And, uh, and so we give to make sure we can help if that need is there. And so maybe you're working through forgiveness. You're working through your past and you need a counselor to walk with you. Maybe it's just something else in your life. Man, let us get you connected. Contact us. Let us walk that path with you or get a counselor to walk that path with you. Because forgiveness may take many years and you may need a professional to help you through that. Other thing I would say is that forgiving someone means having healthy friends around you. The world says take revenge on that person that hurt you. The world says go after them. Be angry. Be upset. Be bitter. That's not healthy for us. What you need around you are healthy friends. And I'm going to throw this in there. Healthy Christian friends who can help you seek the forgiveness that you need to give someone else. Because healthy Christian friends aren't going to help you seek revenge. They're going to help you walk down this path of forgiveness. That's why we talk about joining a journey team here at The Journey. Or be, more importantly, being a part of a journey group. Where you can be around other people who can be there for you as you walk this path of forgiveness. We not only need a therapist many times to help us walk down this path. But we need a community of people to come around us and say, hey, we are here with you. To help you down this hard road that you're taking. Forgiving someone means having healthy friends 
around you. And then the other thing I would say is that forgiveness is a control issue. When we don't forgive, we are attempting to control the issue or control the situation that's right there in front of us. And when we're trying to control it, this is why we retaliate. This is why we look for payback. This is why we desire to have revenge on someone because we think that I can win if I control the situation. Listen, when you don't forgive, you're not winning anything. What you're trying to do is trying to control the other person who at one point in time controlled you. And I can tell you that that's not healthy for one person, and that's you. Not forgiving doesn't harm the other person. It harms you. There's this great quote that says, Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's true, right? When you don't forgive, the other person still has control over you. Because you're still thinking about them every single day. Your thoughts are going there. Your actions are going there. Maybe your words, you're so focused on them. They still have control over you. And I hate to burst your bubble, but the chances are pretty good that they don't care about you at all. Like they're not even thinking about you anymore. That all your mind and your actions are about that person and seeking revenge and being angry and being bitter. Somehow they've moved on from that. Somehow they've hidden that deep down inside themselves. And as you're trying to control the situation, they're still in control, even though at this point they probably don't even care. You and I are held captive by that person. So what do we need to do? If this is kind of where we are with forgiveness and we're trying to figure all this out, well, here's what we really need to understand is that forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness sets you free. Now, when you've been hurt, forgiveness sounds like the worst decision ever. Because we kind of think of it in our mind, like if I forgive this person, that means I've got to have a relationship with them again. And that might happen. That might be how things play out. But there's nothing that says if I forgive them, I still have to be in relationship with them. That doesn't mean if you forgive them, you got to call them and communicate with them and talk to them and be around. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that you have to do anything with them at all. It doesn't even mean that you have to forget what took place. But you have to get to this place of forgiveness. To be able to say, I forgive you. And many times that may mean for you at that point to move on. Because you realize that forgiveness sets you free. Back to that definition we talked about a little bit earlier. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release, release, to be set free to these feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Forgiving someone allows you to be freed from the prison you're stuck in. It allows you to move on from the place that you're in. This guy named Paul Bowes wrote this. He said, forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. See, many times, and we've been talking about this in the series, that we kind of live in the past, right? Our, our past is there, and, and we can't change the past. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. We, we don't have any mulligans for the past, right? It's not how things work. But when we forgive, we give up the hope for a better past. When we forgive, it sets us free to have a better future. 
And forgiveness is the moment when you and I are set free, where we let go of that resentment, we let go of that anger, we let go of that bitterness, that hate, we let go of that desire for revenge. And when we look at the life of a guy named Joseph, it would be easy to say, well, he has every right to take all these steps, but, but he doesn't do that. At the end of the story in Genesis, we find that his dad, Jacob, has passed away. The brothers are scared. They're afraid now that dad's gone. Joseph's going to come back and retaliate, even though he said all these nice things to them and how he's going to care for them. So they tell a lie, which is par for the course for these brothers. They tell Joseph, like, hey, dad told us right before he died, you got to take care of us. You can't do anything to us. And, and Joseph, he knows this, right? He's pretty smart, or he's actually really smart. And, and he, he comes in and he's like, hey... <laughs> Don't be scared. Don't worry about this. We got this, right? I'm going to take care of you. But, but I love this phrase that he says in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God has used it for good. Like Joseph understands every, every detour that he's faced, everything he's experienced, all the hardship and pain he's been through. He knows all this started with his brothers. But he says what God has done is use those detours for good in his life and use those detours for good in his family's life too. See, God's plan was that Joseph's family would be destined for life in the world right then that was full of death. And not forgiving his brothers would have been a part of this crazy life cycle that was said, hey, uh, I'm going to continue to be fearful of you and full of anxiety, and I'm going to carry these constant burdens with me. And that would have been true for the brothers, and that would have been true for Joseph. But Joseph says, no, I'm going to forgive you. And in that, Joseph is set free. But who else is freed? His brothers. And it's in this moment his brothers are given this brand new life. And hopefully they understood that God's plan is good and it brought about freedom and forgiveness. You intended to harm me, but God has used it for good. I read those words and I've looked at them over and over again over the past couple of weeks. And I think, you know, that's not just the message that we see here in the story of Joseph. I think this is the message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Like there's hope. There, there's, there's freedom in, in a world that is full of death, in a world that is full of, of evil. I mean, we see it every day, right? We read about it. We see it on, on TV. And many of you have experienced it in your relationships. And that evil has brought about pain and hurt and anxiety and fear and brokenness and this burden you still carry and you're held captive uh, to that, that past and to that person. But please understand, God's plan for you is that you understand that you are destined for life in a world that is full of evil and death. No matter what we may have experienced, even if it was like the stories we read a little bit earlier, none of that will ever defeat God's plan and purpose for you and me because God's plan is good. And you know what? God desires for us to be free. That's why I love what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. He says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. 
God's plan for us is to be freed and to be forgiven. The freedom from our past, it comes and it was purchased on the cross. The forgiveness for our past is given through the power of the resurrection. Like that's the, that's the power of the story of Easter. So we think about this. we got the women who show up at the tomb that day. It's a Sunday morning. They go there to put spices around Jesus' body because at this point it would probably be stinking a little bit. And, and they're there just normally going to do what they're normally going to do for someone who's passed away. But they get there. The stone's rolled away. And there's this angel just kind of hanging out on top of the stone. And, and this, the angel looks at them and kind of like, hey, <laughs> you know, what are you doing here? But, but here's what the angel says in Matthew 28. It says, uh, he isn't here. He has risen from the dead. And because of the resurrection, you and I are set free. And we are forgiven. Which means because we are freed and because we're forgiven, you and I should also be able now to forgive others. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers even after every detour that he faced. And that forgiveness set them free. It gave them the new life that they needed, and it set Joseph free too. Back to the person that we've been talking about today for you. What's keeping you from being set free and forgiving those who have hurt you? Because here's the deal. God has freed you from your past. Like the cross made that happen for all of us. We're freed from the past that we've had, the decisions we've made. And because of the resurrection, we are forgiven for that past. This morning, we're going to have a few people that are going to be baptized in a couple of our services. And here's a group of people saying, hey, I understand now that I'm freed and forgiven. I understand the power of the resurrection, and I'm going to express that by being baptized. I want this new life for myself. And so they're saying, I'm going to, I'm going to let go of my past. And I'm going to let God lead me into this incredible future. And so this morning, we're in a couple of our services, we're going to get a chance to watch that take place. We're going to see a couple here in a little bit that are going to do that. I mean, that's a powerful statement of understanding freedom and forgiveness. And understanding this new life that you and I have the opportunity to hold on to. And maybe some of you are here this morning like, man, I, I kind of need that freedom myself. I, I need that forgiveness. I, I, I want to understand the, the power of the resurrection. Man, we got you covered right? We've got uh, shorts and t-shirts and towels. You can't walk out of here and say, well, they didn't give me an opportunity to do this. We'd love to see you take that step. And if you're someone who says, I want to do that today, you go find Joel. Joel was just up here a second ago. Find Joel. He's going to be in the back here in a little bit, or he'll be out in the lobby or at the guest tent. Go see him. Like, man, I want to take that step. We'll baptize you today. We'll make that happen so you can experience that new life where you're able to say, I am free, and I realize that I am forgiven. And again, that comes through the power of the resurrection. Or maybe you're here today, and what you need is to work on forgiving that person you've been thinking about this whole time. That person who has neglected you, who hurt you, who brought you pain, Hear me out. The resurrection brings you freedom from that and gives you forgiveness so that now you can go and be free and forgive that person who has hurt you in your life. Like that's the power of the resurrection in our lives.
that we understand personally we are free, we're forgiven. And now our job, if we follow Christ, is to go out, to let ourselves be free from that person who hurt us, to be able to say to them, hey, you are now forgiven too. We can go back to those peeps, me not liking them. It's a preference, right? And you got foods that you don't like and you don't care for, and it's really no big deal. But when it comes to people in our lives who are hard to forgive, and maybe sometimes that is us, but because the tomb is empty, we've been forgiven, which means we are called to forgive others. And I believe that is fully the power of the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate every day if we're a follower of Christ, but we so remember on a day like Easter.